Hello, friends. Welcome to the Trinity Podcast. My name is Matthew. I'm the parish pastor on the east side. I want to share some reflections this morning with you from a story from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 17, verses 22 to 27. And I'll just say before reading it that I was really caught off guard by this story this week. I kind of went into it thinking, man, I just don't know what to say and was surprised by how much is in here. And so I'm excited to share this with y'all. So beginning in verse 22, as they, that is the disciples were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the son of man is going to be betrayed into the hands of sinners and they will kill him. And on the third day he will be raised and they were greatly distressed. And when they reached Capernaum, the collectors of the temple tax came to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the temple tax? And he said, Yes, he does. And when he came home, Jesus spoke of it first, asking, What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take toll or tribute? From their children or from others? And when Peter said, From others, Jesus said to him, Then the children are free. However, so that we do not give offense to them, go to the lake and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you will find a coin, and take that and give it to them for you and me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, Why don't we pray together? Father, thank you for the stories of Jesus. Thank you that they always um, bring us back to this larger-than-life figure that we could never make up on our own. Thank you that your Son, Father, is our hope in this world. And even in a moment like now where things feel so uncertain and there's so much up in the air and so much at stake, we thank you that Jesus is with us, present, constant, able to walk with us through these days. And we ask for his presence now through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, This is a really weird story. I remember it vaguely from a children's Bible growing up, I think. Uh, As a child, you never really questioned the logic of the story. Um, Yeah, you know, Peter had to pay taxes of some kind, and Jesus had some money miraculously appear in a fish's mouth. Sure, why not? And for a person who, you know, as a little kid, believed that a fairy collected my teeth while I slept and that magicians could pull quarters from behind my ears, this really didn't seem strange at all. Uh, I never questioned uh, the rationale or the reasoning behind it. I just uh, probably wondered if anything, maybe I might catch a fish one day with a coin in its mouth. But I never thought much about this story. Why did Jesus do this? What's going on? It kind of looks like Jesus is using his superpowers to keep from having to pay his taxes, which, you know, I mean, if you have that power, you might as well. But when Jesus was starving in the desert, And he was tempted by Satan to turn the stones to bread so he could eat. He didn't use his power there to take care of himself. Why? Why? And this would really be the only time in the Bible where Jesus uses his power just to take care of himself. What's going on here? Well, um, there is, of course, always more under the surface if we'll dig. And so let's dig for a second. The first thing we need to see going into this is that uh, the disciples have gone home. 
So it says that we've gone back to Capernaum, and Capernaum is the hometown of many of the disciples. Matthew, the tax collector, for sure, this was his hometown, but also it was very near, basically, the neighbor uh, for where Peter and his brother Andrew and James and John lived. There's also some evidence that Jesus, perhaps, had been there uh, for a while, that he may, ha- may have had a, like a, a semi-permanent place that he stayed when he was uh, there. And so the disciples are home. And immediately upon getting home, who shows up but the people from the local religious gathering center saying, hey, you got to pay your temple tax. Now, what is a temple tax? A temple tax is not an imperial tax. It is not something that was issued by um, the Roman governors or, or anything. It wasn't going to Rome at all. It was actually an optional contribution to the upkeep of the temple that was formed from some laws that go back to Moses and how they took care of the tabernacle um, in the days of Moses. And so Peter is basically essentially being asked, hey, are you going to pay your neighborhood organization administration fees or not? You know, the things that we use to keep the green space clear in our in our neck of the woods here in the city. And uh, it's optional. You don't have to do it. But if you're a good neighbor, you're going to do it. And Peter, you know, he's home and uh, he buckles. Um, he, he says, uh, you know, yeah, of course. Of course we will. Because they're like, is, does Jesus pay his taxes? Is he going to contribute to this or not? He's like, yeah, of course he does. I mean, his impulse so much of the time, Peter's impulse is to fight back, to push back. But when he's home, uh, it's to resist friction, which I think a lot of us can appreciate. Um, in another place, Peter may have been far more prone to pick a fight, but but here he just sort of buckles. And either Jesus was with Peter when this was going on, or he um, had just somehow heard that this was going on, or he, whatever, or he just had superpowers and he just knew what was going on. But when when they get back to Peter's house, Jesus brings the conversation up. And I love this detail in the story. Jesus speaks first. And the reason I love it is because uh, you can fill in some of the gaps, but it just seems like I bet Peter was really hoping he wasn't going to have to talk about this with Jesus. (laughs) Because he basically just said, uh, yeah, Jesus is on the hook for what would shake out to be essentially 2% of your annual salary, not not an inconsequential amount of money. And and now, now Jesus is on the hook for this. So Jesus preempts the conversation, which I think um, it just makes me wonder, what would be the conversations if I was walking back to the house with Jesus and I would be thinking, oh, I really hope he doesn't bring this up when we get home. And then he brings it up first thing. So Jesus, he responds to Peter and he has really a two-part response. The first is he tells the story about kings and he says, who is the one that the king extracts tax from? Is it his children or is it the king's subjects? Is it the others? He tells a story that immediately places Peter in a larger reality, which helps Peter to understand, like, what is his identity in this story? Who do kings exact taxes from? It's not their children. It's their subjects. That's that's an easy question. A king's children does not pay taxes. They live off of the taxes of the subjects. Now, without taking the metaphor too far, because I don't think Jesus intends us to, and I don't think most of the time parable metaphors are meant to be taken all the way to some extreme. We get into a lot of trouble theologically when we try to do that. So without taking it too far, though, what is the principle? Well, Jesus tells us what the principle is. The principle is that the children of the king are not under compulsion. That's the principle. The children of the king are not under compulsion. In other words, Peter, you don't have to do this. 
you don't have to pay this tax. This is optional for you. Now, it's important, again, all the caveats that we need to wrap around this. This is an optional religious tax. It is not an imperial tax. This is not coming from the Roman Empire. This is not about the law. Jesus elsewhere says very clearly, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Furthermore, Jesus does not condemn paying this tribute to the temple. He doesn't condemn it. He doesn't say it would be wrong for Peter to do it. He just simply says, you don't have to. He just says, you're free, Peter. And then he reminds him that his father, the king, will provide for him. And that's where the story with the fish comes in. And no one could have appreciated the metaphor more than Simon Peter, a former fisherman. Peter, who had spent his life before following Jesus, bringing in fish. Fish, for Peter, were literal coins in his pocket. And ever since he'd left his nets and his fishing boat and followed Jesus, there had been far fewer coins in his pocket because now he was fishing for people, as Jesus said, and not for fish. And so Jesus places Peter in this story and he reminds him, you are a child of the kingdom and as a child of the kingdom, you are free and you will always have what you need because your father, the king, uh, owns everything. And yet he also invites Peter, and this is really, I think, interesting and maybe the most important word for us today. He invites Peter to use his freedom to serve others. And this shouldn't surprise us if we've read the whole text, which we did at the beginning. If you've been reading the whole text, you'll see that immediately before this story, Jesus has said these words, the son of man will be betrayed and killed and on the third day raised. Now, who is the son of man? Well, it's Jesus, of course. Yes, it's Jesus. That's the right answer. It's the Sunday school answer. But who is the son of man in Jewish thinking? The son of man is the divine apocalyptic figure from the writings of the prophet Daniel. The prophet Daniel who writes these words, And behold, I saw in a vision with the clouds of heaven, there came one before me like the Son of Man. There he is. And he came to the Ancient of Days, that's God the Father, and he was presented before him. And to the Son of Man was given, this is it, dominion and glory and a kingdom so that all the peoples and nations and languages should serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not, shall not pass away. His kingdom shall not be destroyed. So the Son of Man is the one who is given a kingdom by God, his Father. In other words, the Son of Man is the Son of the King, the child of the King. And what does the child of the King do? Jesus has just told us, the Son of Man will be betrayed and will be killed. The Son of Man will lay down his life. Jesus tells his friends three times before he gets to Jerusalem, where he is crucified, three times while he's on the road with them, he tells them exactly what's about to happen. We're going to go. I'm going to be handed over to the Gentiles. They're going to crucify me. I'm going to be raised. He tells them three times why. He wants them to know that he's in control. He wants them to know that he knows what's about to happen and he is walking to Jerusalem anyway. In other words, Jesus wants them to know what he says in John chapter 10. Nobody takes my life from me, but I lay it down freely. Jesus, the son of the king, the son of man, uses his freedom, 
his ultimate freedom to do what? To serve. Not under compulsion. Free to do anything he wants, and yet using that freedom to lay down his life uh, for you and me. And in this moment in your life and in my life, uh, this may mean many things for you. In fact, it probably means many different things even today for you. But I want to remind you, as you scan the landscape, as you consider your role today in your community, in your family, in your company, in our society, remember, you are a child, you are a daughter, you are a son of the king, of the kingdom. And as a child of the kingdom, you are free. You're not under compulsion. You are free to engage as you will. And as free women and men, we follow in the footsteps of Jesus when we use that freedom for the sake of others. And so may you today and this week and in this season find increasing capacity to use the freedom God has given to you to serve, to lay down what is yours so that we can lift others up together. Bless you all. Grace and peace to you. We hope to see you very soon.